Hi, this is Dr. Chuck Betters, and you are listening to a resource that we have developed with Mark Inc. Ministries, one of the latest in our collection of resources offering help and hope to hurting people. I have a very special friend uh, in the studio with me here today, and I've known this young man since he was a little baby. He's made quite an impression on so many people as he has suffered with uh, his own form of, uh, of a disability. And I know as you listen to his story, you are going to be really blessed by hearing what Tim Merkel has to say. And uh, I hope that if you're listening to this and you are struggling with some sort of disability, some sort of uh, physical or emotional depression that results from it, that you would be blessed and encouraged by what you hear today and that you would learn perseverance in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as I remember early back in the very early years of my ministry, somebody pointed out to me Exodus 4.11. It was a young man who subsequently died from his disability, but his family pointed out to me Exodus 4.11, where the scripture tells us, who is it that makes the blind blind? And who is it that makes the deaf deaf? Is it not I, the Lord? And uh, it lays squarely on the shoulders of our Creator God the responsibility for how we are physically made. And yet in Psalm 139, we are told that we are wonderfully made, created in our inner parts with the full knowledge that our God gives us of, of His love and concern. Well, Tim, at the time of our last interview, you were just beginning, just starting college at Drexel and living on campus in Philadelphia. Now, having been from Philadelphia, I know how difficult it is to get around there. So can you tell us what you're doing now? What's what's the update on where you are now? Yeah, so uh, this past year, I graduated from Drexel University with a master's degree in electrical engineering. And right now, I'm working two jobs. I'm working for 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia doing campus ministry, and I'm working doing engineering coding part-time. Now, if I remember correctly, give me a little bit of your history academically of where and when you earned your degrees and how old were you when you earned them. Give uh, our audience a little feel for uh, I'll just put it this way, how smart you really are. So I was, uh, I was homeschooled until I was uh, 16, um, and I had finished all the high school credits that I needed to at 16. And then I started at Delaware Technical Community College, and I got two associate's degrees there. How old were you? So I was 18 when I got them. And you got two associate degrees from community college there? Yep. Okay, and then what? And then I... Took some time. I was still working at Dell Tech as a tutor, and I was applying to a couple schools, um, one of them Drexel University, and I ended up being accepted and going to Drexel University when I was 19. And I entered the program that they have that you earn your bachelor's and your master's in the same amount of time. So it's just sort of a, a condensed program that was pretty stressful. And you've graduated from Drexel at this point? Yep. With a degree in? So I have a bachelor's degree in computer engineering and a master's degree in electrical engineering. That's amazing. I remember when you were going through probably one of your more difficult surgeries. 
I remember, uh, I think it was your sister who showed me an x-ray of your back. And I remember looking at that x-ray and thinking, how in the world are they going to be able to fix this? Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your condition and uh, some of the struggles that you've had getting to where you are right now? I'm, I'm just imagining how difficult it must have been for you to negotiate Philadelphia uh, the inner city of Philadelphia. I've been there, worked there, and I know how hard it is to get around, but maybe take us through a little bit of the struggles that you went through to get to the point to where you are now. Yeah, so I have a congenital muscular dystrophy. It's a very rare type. It's called uh, Ulrich, and basically my muscles don't make enough collagen, and in a normal muscle, when you work out, they break down and then build back up stronger, but my muscles, when they break down, they don't build back up stronger. and In fact, a lot of times they build back weaker than they were. So it's a progressive disability that it got very bad around the time of my growth spurt because my muscles could not keep up with the rate at which I was growing. And the muscles in my back were pretty far behind and were actually not able to support my spine. So my spine started curving. And once it started curving, it kept curving at a more and more rapid pace. And so when I was 14, I had to have a full spinal fusion, which was a 14-hour surgery with just a a really rough recovery. It was easily a year before I felt even a little bit back to the way that things had been. And I had to completely relearn to walk and wasn't able to walk without some sort of assistance after that surgery. But it was a necessary surgery because the spine would have just kept curving and would have eventually started pushing my organs and it would have killed me. So it was definitely rough period in my life recovering from that. And I had sort of always been an ambitious person and, and knew that I wanted to make something of my life. So I, during that period, I focused on the things that I could do, which was reading books and studying. And obviously, I spent plenty of time playing video games with friends. But I, I focused a lot on um, schoolwork and finished my high school credits two years early. And I think one of the tough things for me was I wanted to go you know, right into a university and I wanted to get into a really good school and I wanted to start, start right in with that. But I have really awesome parents who knew that I wasn't ready for that. And they encouraged me to start at community college, which to me was not the step that I wanted to take. And I had to really trust them in that that it was the right decision. And of course they were right. And it was a really great transitional period where I was more independent than I had been, but still learning more about my limitations and and the things that I could handle and the things that I couldn't handle. And I was only 16 at the time. And there were a lot of things that I didn't realize about, you know, living independently. And that Two and a half years that I spent at community college was was definitely time very well spent in researching more on how I could live independently. And then by the time I started at Drexel University, 
I was much closer to being ready to live independently. And yeah, like you mentioned, moving to Philadelphia was definitely a challenge. And as good of a school as Drexel is, and with, you know, all of the the money that that school has, it still was very lacking in a lot of common sense disability accommodations. I I remember there was this one year where there was construction on the building that the Office of Disabilities was, was in. Uh, so they moved the Office of Disabilities to the third floor of a building that uh, had these, you know, towering stairs to get into. And I needed to go to the Office of Disabilities to get my accommodations letter, basically saying, you know, if there's snow and ice, like I might need to miss a class and all these things that I have to give my professors. And so I called the Office of Disabilities and the woman asked me if I was um, good to do steps. And I said that I wasn't. And um, she said, okay, well then I'm going to have to meet you outside. When are you going to be here? And uh, I told her what time I was going to be there. And she said, okay, and you wear glasses, right? And I said, yeah, I wear glasses. And she said, okay, I know who you are. And, And then I thought, I wonder if there's only like two people with a physical disability, one person with glasses and one person without glasses. It was just one of those situations where you had to step back and realize that even the Office of Disabilities wasn't accessible and that there are a lot of challenges to living in the city that, or living anywhere really that you can't always account for. And You know, it's interesting. It must have been two or three years before my last hip replacement. And I'm not even beginning to compare a hip replacement with what you've had to go through. But it was uh, a very painful time when my body was not able to negotiate different places. And I went to Disney World with my family. Big, big mistake. Uh, They finally convinced me, my family, to get a wheelchair to get a wheelchair I can move around, I can motorize around and control it myself. And I learned very quickly how uncaring most people are of a person who's in a wheelchair, how they care could care less that you're standing in front of them or sitting in front of them or that you need to get through the line or that you need to move around. And I lasted in that wheelchair probably... 10 minutes before I finally said to my family, this isn't working. We've we've got to go home. And when I heard, Tim, a few years ago that you were going to Drexel, knowing where Drexel is, knowing the inner city the way I know the inner city of Philadelphia, my first response was, is he crazy? Are his parents crazy? How is he ever going to negotiate that? Because I knew something of your condition. And I thought, how are you going to get around? How are you going to negotiate the uh, the bus routes and everything else that you need to do to get around the campus of Drexel? So now in retrospect, as you look back, how did that work for you? How did you make that work for you? I think I definitely had this sense that even though a lot of the institutions were very flawed and that they were inaccessible and a lot of Drexel staff didn't. Uh, really have any sort of sensitivity towards people with disabilities. The people on campus and the people that 
I became friends with and a lot of the professors and staff members were all very, very nice and very willing to help. And so I think it was very important for me to, I guess, let go of whatever pridefulness I still had and and just be willing to ask for help, which was a very difficult thing for me to do. And it, it took a lot of getting used to, but people were very willing to help. And of course, I had my parents who were li- living, you know, an hour away. And if things ever got really bad, I knew that I could, you know, go home for the weekend. Or So you had people around you who understood that you needed help, but you weren't too proud to ask for that help. Yeah. And I think, you know, not even all of the people understood that I needed help, which is, you know, one of the reasons why you have to advocate for yourself and and speak up. What are your ambitions? And how are you working toward making your ambitions a reality? The thought that I had at community college when I first started was, so here I am going into community college with this very visual disability that's, you know, the first thing that people see, and it's very noticeable and, I guess, very distracting almost. And my goal in a a lot of ways was I want the other parts of my personality. I want my faith and my work ethic and the intelligence that God has given me. I want those to be what I become known for, not as the person with a disability, but the person who loves Jesus and is working hard at school. And so that was one of my goals pretty early on was despite it being a huge part of my life, not what I wanted to be known for. Uh, Tim, you mentioned your faith. A lot of people would say, well, I believe in God. I believe there's a heaven. Uh, I believe that all good people go there. What makes your faith different from what I'll call the generic faith that a lot of people have? I mean, what the statistics tell us, that 90% of America believes in God, but... Does that really mean that 90% of the people in America truly have biblical faith? What is biblical faith to you? I think I've had to constantly deal with some of the tougher questions that many people aren't faced with on a daily basis about God and about faith. And one of those questions is, you know, why would God allow something like this to happen. So I think a lot of people can get by with a a more shallow faith, just what they've learned, you know, in Sunday school. Whereas I think when you have to deal with the, those sorts of questions on a daily basis, your faith has to be strengthened or I guess lost when you're dealing with that question so often. And I remember I was involved with Drexel Students for Christ and we were out answering people's spiritual questions and um out where so we were on campus so we had this event that we were running where we would have people text us spiritual questions and where they were and we would deliver them hot chocolate and cookies and then we'd answer their spiritual question just just a side uh, note here as far as Drexel's concerned only very, very intelligent people get into Drexel. Uh, SAT scores have to be pretty high. 
And so you're dealing with an academic crowd that's, um, these are very bright people. So I would imagine that their questions were very bright questions. Yeah. One of the first questions that I answered doing that was someone who asked, why would God allow suffering? And when I went to deliver the cookies and the hot chocolate, he sort of rephrased his question into, why would God allow you to have that disability? And I thought, I guess we're, <laughs> we're uh, going right to the difficult questions. I'm not going to find this one in the Westminster yeah. Shorter Catechism. And I had to give it a lot of thought. And I thought back to everything that happened to me, good and bad, and how so much of the good was tied to things that had happened that I would not have chosen for myself. After uh, one of my first major surgeries, I got put onto a prayer chain email from a guy that I didn't know. And after I had recovered from the surgery, um, my parents told me that this guy had had a bunch of people that were praying for me. And I thought that that, that was nice, so I should um, email him and thank him. And so I emailed him, thanked him, and he invited uh, me and my family to his church. And so we visited his church, and the week that we visited his church, they were talking about adoption, specifically with the partners that they had in India. And through the connections made that day, my parents ended up adopting a little boy from India. And I grew up with three sisters, and having a brother is something that I always prayed for, always wanted. And so, you know, when I was asked that question, I thought back to all of those things that happened sort of as a result of the surgeries that I had. And even just being a student at Drexel is something that only happened because I was forced to take some smaller steps that I wouldn't have taken normally. And I think my idea of what good is is very different than what God's idea of good is. And I think I'm very blessed in that I got to see a little bit of how God's plan makes sense. But there are many people who don't get that opportunity. And and to us, it, it really doesn't make any sense. You almost have to have a macro view of life. You have to look at it from the perspective of all of the pieces coming together. And uh, this morning before I came in here, I, I, I heard about an artist. I wish I could remember all the details, but I, I'll give you the essence of it. He repairs broken heirlooms, broken family heirlooms, like a vase or a chair or whatever. And he puts these heirlooms back together again. But as you can imagine, when something is broken, there are cracks. Uh, even though you put it back together, you glue it, there's still uh, cracks that are there. Well, he fills those cracks with gold. And he puts the pieces back together again, fills the cracks with gold, gold material, and paints it so that you're looking at a piece that maybe was worth something before it was broken that is worth so much more now after it's broken. I, I, I wonder sometimes about the cracks in my life and the cracks in your life that have been filled with gold that God has taken what has been what has been 
removed from your life, normal health, uh, normal back, being able to walk freely wherever you want to go. And he's put those pieces back together by crystallizing your faith. And he's filled those cracks. And as, as I'm listening to you talk, he's filled those cracks in your life with something very valuable. And that something very valuable is a message. And he wants that message to be declared unapologetically through you. And I think the idea of the cookies and questions, I think that's an amazing, amazing concept to say to people, I know you have questions. So I want you to talk now to that person who's listening to this that has a disability, that maybe is in the throes of depression, wondering why in the world they look around and they see everybody else at Disney World normal. And they don't care about my disability and they don't care that I'm struggling right now. And maybe they're in the throes of a real serious depression. Um, from, from the perspective of one who's been there, from one who knows what it's like to struggle with feeling sorry for yourself and one who maybe struggles with perseverance, how have you persevered and what message do you have to these for these folks? I think that I have sort of two trains of thought. On a good day, my train of thought is I have had many opportunities that only came as a result of me having this disability. And I ha am in a unique position as someone with a disability where people find it maybe initially intimidating to talk to me about their faith and and talk to me about their life. But I think that there's something very unassuming and unintimidating about me where I've I've been able to have a lot of people come to me with, I guess, speak to me about the things that are going on in their lives. And I've met a lot of people just because I guess I stand out a little bit more. And so on a good day, I'll I'll look at everything in the light of there are good things about this and you know this is ultimately part of God's plan for me and I know that that what's happening to me is good but on a bad day you can't it's very hard to see that those words seem very shallow and and meaningless and on those days the only thing that I can really focus on is the hope that I have and the promises that God makes and looking to the future when, you know, all tears will be wiped away and all the pain and sorrow will be gone. Um, yeah, focusing on the promises that God has made in the Bible is really the only way to get through those really bad days. I remember Tim uh, entering into a debate with a professor of English at the University of Delaware. Uh, he and I were in a correspondence debate going back and forth because I had, I had produced an article that was printed in the local newspaper. And he took issue with my view of God, uh, my view of God being that God is a loving father. And he then listed a litany of problems with that image of God being a, a loving father. Would a loving father allow children to be raped? 
Would a, would a loving father allow sex trafficking? Would a, love, a loving father allow, and he, he would probably look at you and say, what kind of a loving father would allow a young man with uh, such a bright future and a great degree of intelligence to have this kind of physical ailment and this suffering? And my response to him, and I'd like you to react to this if you could, my response to him was, Professor, we live in a broken and fallen world. It's fallen and broken because of sin. So Christians get cancer just like non-Christians get cancer. Like in my case, Christians lose their children just like non-Christians lose their children. Uh, When we lost our son Mark, I would listen to hymns in church of the congregation singing hymns like, I Surrender All. And I felt like those hymns were mocking. And I, I really questioned the people who were singing, I surrender all. Do you really surrender all? Would you surrender your child? Christians get diseases just like non-Christians get diseases. Christians, the same things that happen to non-Christians happen to Christians because we live in that fallen and broken world. And as the scripture says, it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust alike. And so when we're facing the criticism that God is a father, uh, a loving and caring father, uh, I remember when we held, when I held my son's body in my arms in the hospital, and I said to God, I said, you've got to show me that everything I've ever preached and taught is true, because right now I don't believe it. And I actually said to God, I would never, I'm a father, I would never treat my children this way. And, and so that argument surfaces, it seems, in the throes of pain and sorrow and brokenness. Have you ever raised that kind of question to God yourself? Have you ever said, how is it that you're a loving Heavenly Father and you treat me this way? You allow me to have a, a disability that is so painful, so difficult. Have you ever raised that question? Yeah, I remember specifically when it was. It was um, a couple days after my spinal fusion. You were 14 then, right? Yeah, and I was in a lot of pain, and I still couldn't, you know, I couldn't move almost any of my muscles. And I was trying to sleep with all these beeps in the hospital room, going off every five seconds and I was sleeping on my shoulder and my shoulder went numb and started getting really sore because I was sleeping on my shoulder but I couldn't even like turn myself onto the other side so I had to um, call a nurse and then you know she flipped me over and then you know as soon as I got comfortable 10 minutes later more doctors came in and um, needed to give me a shot of something and I just remember like this series of events that, you know, kept me from sleep and, you know, I was in pain and I didn't know how I was going to even fall asleep. And I didn't, I didn't see any hope. And, um, yeah, it was, it was in that moment that I raised that question of why is this happening to me? There's nothing, there's nothing good about this. And what answer did you receive? So the answer that I received was not an immediate answer. I I didn't have this um, revelation of why it was happening to me, and the pain didn't go away. But 
I remember just getting this um, sense of peace, and I don't remember a whole lot about uh, the timing of me falling asleep, but I, I remember that I did eventually fall asleep. And, you know, it really wasn't for a couple of years that I started to piece together the reason behind the surgery that I had and, and where I ended up in life because of it. So it wasn't an immediate answer, but I did begin to see that it was all both for my good and to show God's glory in turning something as broken and, you know, terrible as that was into something good and a story that I could tell to other people who were suffering. It's interesting, as, as you were giving me the answer to that question, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of Corey Ten Boon, was a Christian woman who protected a lot of Jewish people during during Nazism, during the uh, Second World War, who were who were uh, struggling to uh, survive. And Corey Ten Boone is is known for being that woman who provided that hiding place. And uh, Corey Ten Boone used to say that when questioned about the suffering in the world. And, and who better to comment on that than one who lived in that kind of a environment and saw such horrific suffering? She used to say that we are looking at life from the underside of a tapestry. We are seeing nothing but hanging strings, dangling down. They don't make any sense. They're different colors. They're, they're knotted. They're, you're looking at a confusing picture when you look from this angle, from the earthly perspective of the underside of that tapestry. But when we are up above the tapestry, looking down, when we are from the eternal perspective, looking down at that tapestry, we see how beautiful it is, how all the pieces fit together. And uh, I really liked your answer because, you know, we, we Christians, we like to have instant oatmeal. We like to have uh, an immediate explanation, and you didn't provide that. You basically said you're, you're taking the long view, and you're looking at things through a telescope that goes backwards. You're looking down at your, the track that God has taken you on, and what even though you had those questions, I'm thinking when you were 14 years old and you were in that surgery, there were a lot of us praying for you. There were a lot of us praying for relief for God to protect you from the pain, that the pain was, uh, if I recall, very horrible. And there were a lot of people who were unseen to you. You didn't see it going on. You didn't hear it going on. But a lot of people who were bombarding heaven, I was one of them, bombarding heaven, asking God to give mercy to you for what you and your family were going through. And uh, But you didn't know that. You, didn't, you weren't able to see behind the scenes. It's like the book of Job first chapter, we're told that Job didn't know what was going on. He didn't have the book of Job to read. He was writing the book of Job. It was being written about him. But there was an invisible war going on behind the scenes where Satan was cut loose on Job to take everything he had away except his relationship to the Lord. He couldn't take that away. And so, Tim, as, as, we, as we wrap this up, I, I just, I just want to ask you what, would you, what would you say to someone who is listening, who is struggling um, with the question of faith, uh, 
how can I believe that there is a God when I know I'm going through all of this? Maybe share your personal testimony of how you came to know Christ. I think one of the most important things to me is to focus on God's promises and the things that he has promised, and also to be wary of people telling you things that God hasn't promised. I remember being told by someone that, you know, the reason that I have this disability is because I don't have enough faith, and that if I simply had enough faith, then, of course, I would be healed, because that's... Uh, We hear that all the time from people who make God into something that he isn't. God never promised us that we would have no suffering in this world. In fact, he promised us just the opposite, didn't he? Yeah, and he asked me, he said, do you have faith that God is going to heal you? And I said, right now, no, I, I don't. And he said, well, that's a problem. And I said, well, I have faith that God can heal me, and I have faith in God, but I don't think that at this time in my life, God is going to, to heal me. And I think there's a sense that I had in which, like, if I had been healed right there on the spot, it would have been almost confusing to me. I would have wondered, well, what's this all been about then? Because I had this, like, sense of there's a reason for this. There's a reason that I'm going through this. God knows what it is. And eventually, yes, I will be healed because that is something that God promises that in heaven I will have a glorified body and there will be no pain. Um but right now, it's God's will, ultimately. And so I think focusing on God's promises and the hope that, that there is in them, and then yeah, being wary of these ways in which it's so easy to get discouraged and to lose faith when, you're, when you have a disability and you're faced with those sorts of sneaky sort of doctrines that people have. Um, one of the questions that it's easiest to focus on, or at least one of the phrases that it's easiest to focus on is, is, you know, that's not fair. This isn't fair. And I think that focusing on the gospel is a great way to realize that, you know, what's really not fair is that Jesus, who is perfect, died in place of me and took the punishment that I deserved. If we're, if we're looking at things that are not fair. That is not fair to just about the highest degree, to the highest degree that there is. I think in life we want, we think we want everything to be fair, but if everything were fair, then we would lose out on God's mercy and God's grace, and there's so much hope in the gospel and hope in that. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your your journey. Folks who take the moments to listen to what you're saying and hear what you're saying will be greatly encouraged, uh, especially folks who are suffering right now with what they consider to be irreparable damage. And so thank you from Mark Inc. Ministries for your willingness to make yourself vulnerable in this sort of a way. And if you're listening and you do not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, there is a very simple yet profound way in which to do that to admit to him that you have sinned, that you have fallen short of his glory, and then to thank him that he gave his life on the cross for you. And trust him, ask him to come into your life and be your savior and your Lord. And if we at Mark Inc. Ministries can help you do that, 
we exist for that very purpose. Uh, Mark Inc. Ministries uh, is easily reachable at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Or you can call us toll-free at 877-M-A-R-K-I-N-C. Uh, Tim, once again, thank you so much for your willingness to share with us here today. Uh, you've been a great encouragement to me personally, and I know to many who are listening to this, you are going to be a great encouragement. <music>